3: your <laughs>
1: Good morning. You are listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM and 3cr.org.au. The time is 7 o'clock in the morning. It is a sunny, sunny day outside and it is going to be 22 degrees today. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes. No more jumpers, everybody. You can put those coats away until probably in three days' time when it gets cold again. (laughs) I am Zoya. You are in the studio with George. Good morning. And Good Morning. And we have a pretty good show coming up today. A couple of interviews, a little bit of content. Firstly, we're going to be hearing a fantastic TED Talk from a couple of years ago about feminist urban design. It's going to be a really wonderful segue into a conversation with a really cool... um, Brunswick resident who has started a pretty awesome women's walking group that uh, I want to talk to them about. After that George, who do we have?
4: Uh, so after that I'll be talking with Nero Kandasamy from the Tamil Refugee Council and we'll be talking about a recent report that's come out which discusses the torture of, of Sri Lankan people, predominantly Tamil people and I guess years and years of inaction around that and what this means to have another another mm. report come out to talk about that violence. And
1: then finally, later on in the show, we're going to be having on Nicole Hutton from Colour yeah. Code. Who, um, George, what are they going to be talking to you about? So
4: she's going to be talking to us about the Power of Country event on Thursday night, which I think oh. is about, I guess, connecting with people, um, First Nations people, basically explaining the issues to do with uh, climate change and, and the fights that they're kind of involved with uh, in different states mm. and perhaps what that means for us here and what kinds yeah. of supports we need to be showing yeah. around that. So I'm really excited to learn more about that. That, that, sounds, cool. that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Wow. yeah, Yeah. wonderful. So first up, we just wanted to make a quick announcement and just a content warning. This announcement includes discussions of gendered violence. So if this topic is close to home for you, you can tune out for the next two minutes. So. At Tuesday Breakfast, we want to acknowledge the five women who have been killed in the last seven days by men that were known to them. Their names are Helena Broadbent, Trudy Dreyer, Selma Adam Ibrahim, Kim Chow and Melody Bruno. And it's also important to recognise that of these five women, three of them were women of colour and one of them a trans woman of colour. Our love and thoughts are with the friends and families of these five women whose uh, whose lives were cut short. Everyone deserves to be safe with a partner or friend or someone that they're dating. This is a national emergency and has been so for a very long time. And we also know that 44 women have been killed in the 38 weeks of 2019 alone in Australia. So it's a time for us, I guess, to, to reflect on misogyny and trans misogyny and to continue to work to dismantle these oppressive systems that have led to the deaths of these five women. So we might play a track now and this is from Yasmin Hamdan, it's called La Mouch <laughs>
5: Boldness, campaigning for human rights for people with
1: disabilities. Join us every third Wednesday of the month at
5: 6pm on 3CR.
4: You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. We were just talking about gendered violence and family violence and if... You are experiencing this, or you know someone who is. You can contact Wire Women's Information on one three hundred one three four one three 130. zero, and you can also contact In Touch, which is a service for uh, women of colour and cold Women on one eight hundred seven double five nine double eight. Yeah, that's.
1: I just sorry. I just I just needed a moment. Mm-hmm. Five names, in seven days. Yeah. It, my my brain just stopped for a second there. Mm. it that's 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 the kind of crisis that we need to be talking about every single day yes yeah. it it is it is not right that that is and that is just from yeah people <laughs> I, i'm sorry i am i'm never speechless and i'm and i'm speechless mm. it's it's
6: yeah well it, it, it happens too often and weekly as well yeah these are just this is just like one percent of the names
4: yeah. Of, yeah. Totally. And I think the fact that we've we've been talking for so long about how one woman every week, one woman every week, and maybe it's kind of just become almost normalized in our heads. We just go, Oh yeah, that's the stat. It's one woman who gets killed every week. Mm. And they're more than numbers. They're yeah, people. Yeah. And I think even if something is a recurring issue, you know, most of the issues we talk about on radio are recurring issues, they're not necessarily going away. But yeah, it's, I guess it's a reminder that we need to keep talking about it yeah. mm. as much as possible. And the
1: news cycle continues, but but these people's lives are real lives that aren't that aren't just a tweet. that aren't mm. aren't just you know the lives of their families, the lives of everyone around them, and the lives of people who are still living at, at, at risk of that. Yeah. Mm. So we were going to maybe have a little bit of morning, morning banter. What did I tell you? I said no banter. I said no banter. <laughs> but, too, I'm too no, tired for that. No,
6: no, yeah, that, I said no banter because I was too tired, not because of the, let it be known I'm lazy. I did not even, even have the energy to muster banter. <laughs> that's fair, that's
1: just sitting in the corner yeah. saying no banter. <laughs> Holding up a sign, no banter. <laughs> <laughs> so in lieu of banter, um, said that so many times now, and I really hate that word, and I really hate that i said that so many times, and I'm never going to say it again. That's it. I am banned from saying banter. I'm giving up banter for Lent, even though Lent isn't now. I don't know. When is Lent? I'm, I'm I don't even know
6: what Lent is. How about that? I'm Muslim. I don't, I don't know. Eid, Ramadan, and that's about it.
1: <laughs> so um, instead, we thought we might, in lieu of news headlines, because unfortunately, Chris, our... Delightful news expert is unwell today, so can't make it in. And and as we've said, uh, we're lazy. So (laughs) don't
6: say that too many times. I don't want people getting the wrong idea. Okay, we're very productive. No,
1: we are very, and we're so productive that instead of giving you a quick snapshot of all the news headlines, which obviously Chris is so adept at doing, Mm. and we do not want to step on their toes, there is a piece of news that is really rather interesting that is happening over in the U.S. at the moment. This trans woman, Amy Stevens, she was fired from her job at RG and GR Harris Funeral Homes in 2013 when she revealed to her boss that she was transgender. And when she began work at the funeral home, she presented as a man but was in the process of affirming her gender when she was fired. With the help of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, she took her case to a trial judge who found in favor of the funeral home, but she appealed that decision. The Sixth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in 2018 that it's unlawful for employers to discriminate against someone based on their gender identity. The circuit judge, Karen Nelson Moore, added that asking the business owner to abide by the Discrimination Act does not substantially burden his religious practice. The Alliance defending, or Alliance defending Freedom, the lawyers for RG and GR Harris Funeral Homes, filed a petition with the Supreme Court to challenge the circuit court's decision. The Supreme Court are going to decide on this case, as well as two other cases involving the civil rights of LGBTQIA plus people. So this is a really interesting piece of news because in the U.S., According to a Guardian article um, by Dominic Rush, only 21 out of 50 states in the U.S. have laws that explicitly protect queer people. Mm. And there's no overarching federal law that bans discrimination based on gender identity and sexual orientation in places like hotels, businesses, movie theaters. Each state enacts its own laws that pertain to queer rights, which obviously in the U.S. is a really big thing because mm. states' rights is, is, such a, is such a big Issue, particularly under a Republican government. So, where this is going to go, and particularly with the Supreme Court bench being set up the way it is at the moment, where it is relatively even between the more right-leaning and the more left-leaning judges, mm. exactly where this is go, where this where this can go, is. Kind of up in the air, and it's going to be a really, really landmark case mm. in the US for queer rights, and one that is very interesting in the context of here in Australia with the Religious Discrimination Act um, or Bill, sorry, that is going to potentially be debated before the end of the year mm. because this bill wants to, in effect, entrench what is already the case in these potentially mm. 49, 39 states in the U.S. where there are no explicit rights for queer people. Mm-hmm. Because the situation here in Australia is that currently there are anti-discrimination laws that protect people, the most comprehensive of which are in Tasmania. There are the discrimination laws here, not as comprehensive as Tasmania, but still pretty comprehensive. And the Liberal government wants to bring in legislation that really winds back these laws and potentially interact with the laws at the state level so thinking about that state's rights issue as well it's a really interesting interaction where you've got in the u.s they're trying to see if there could be a federal way to quote-unquote impinge on state's rights Mm. in order to protect the freedom of queer people whereas here we have the opposite Mm. we have the government potentially wanting to quote-unquote impinge on state's rights but to remove the rights of not just queer people but people with disability people of different religions potentially um who may be at odds with you know Mm. um other you know employers and, and that and that kind of thing the interesting thing about the religious discrimination bill and this is i'm on a monologue now i'm getting very excited and this is something that i found really interesting is that It doesn't apply to small businesses, and it doesn't apply to the public service.
4: Really? Yes.
1: So the only large organization where uh, you don't... The the, the protections that come under the Religious Discrimination Act that are theoretically beneficial um, don't apply to certain groups, including the Australian Public Service. I will have to double check that. I'm saying this, I've gone off on a monologue where <laughs> I, this is not the bit that, was, that we researched. So I we will double check this check and, and fact back. check it and come back. But um, yeah, there are some really interesting interactions with this act and with the public service in and in light Mm. of the recent high court ruling around whether or not public servants can say certain things it's a really interesting little thing that's been slipped in there that i think could warrant some discussion
4: yeah Mm. and i think it's interesting in terms of how uh, i think we often have this naive idea that laws are getting better and better and better for everybody and blah 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 but then the fact that you know, you can still have these laws, but something can be put on top of that. Mm. You know, you already have... You mentioned that we sort of do have these protections for the rights of LGBTQ plus people, but then something else can be tacked on that kind of gets in the way of that, and then mm. it can go backwards, and it's sort of like such a messy space yeah. of legal... Right. Yeah.
1: And have the different levels of government interact
4: yeah. and yeah. different yeah. political goals. And, yeah.
6: and in the US, religious organisations and religious groups will be looking at this landmark case specifically because it might have an impact on their religious freedom because some people's religion you know they might not believe in trans well not believe but they might think being trans conflicts with their religion mm. right so if there's that and then also just the term of sex right so that will be looked at whether sex pertains to gender identity mm. or it is it going to go by originally um, what it was considered? So then I'm I'm assuming it was considered like biological, right? So this case will have, I'll, this case is so 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 fascinating. It's, mm. it's going to be huge, mm. not just in the U.S., but I feel I like to think that it will um, sort of kind of influence our politics in
1: australia i guess thanks to american cultural imperialism what what happens in the u.s impacts what happens here and potentially for the for the negative as well we need to be aware of that that it could galvanize the the more um conservative members of Mm. our nation who may feel they're even more of a right to try and and pull back of yeah. the, the rights that we've all fought so hard for, and uh, the people before us have fought so, so hard for. Yeah, mm.
4: definitely.
1: But speaking of rights and fighting for rights and, <laughs> and all of that, um, so the next, I suppose, 20 minutes, 35 minutes is going to be focused on a topic that I find utterly fascinating. And that is the interaction between public spaces and the safety or the feelings of belonging for marginalized people and in particular women. So to start off with that, we have a really interesting TED Talk that I wanted to play to set the scene, I suppose. This is a talk from, let me try and remember the year, from earlier this year actually, by Dr. Ellie Cosgrave, who is the director of the City Leadership Laboratory and a lecturer in Urban Innovation and Policy at University College London, speaking about feminist urban design and the feminist
0: city. (laughs) Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across
2: Victoria.
7: It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. It brings us all together. ...time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make and sure and I just
0: want to say thank you doors. to all what's of the the you for giving us the opportunity morning, to speak on air.
7: The bigger the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things... Uncalled.
0: And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the
8: bars. But also
6: while I'm here I'd like to say thank you for all for coming um, Helping, giving us a chance to do this It's really good you know It's been going for a while now Hopefully it goes, it keeps going You know like it's it's good that we can do this And um, get our voice out there As prisoners We
7: can't blame everything on the external So let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor Because real power comes from here And it comes from family
0: If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377.
1: Good morning. You are listening to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast with me, Zoya, George and Ayan. The time is, I can't even see the clock very well, 7.37 a.m., just before, we had a fantastic talk from Dr. Ellie Cosgrave, the Director of the City Leadership Laboratory and Lecturer in Urban Innovation and Policy at University College London. That is a really impressive title. One day I want a title like that. And I thought that, was just, that would be a really nice little gentle early morning feminist architecture introduction to a topic that um, I find really interesting and want to talk about. And one that we 've just heard from Dr. Cosgrave or from Ellie, I like to think of her as because you know we 're good friends and <laughs> um, one that we heard from her from a more macro level, that sort of broader thinking urban urban planning level about the use of public spaces by marginalized people, that sense of inclusion or belonging, and in particular, safety. And one that, I mean, she was speaking less about safety, but that's a topic that I find really interesting. And one in particular, with all the things that have been happening in the past year or so with, um, you know, deaths of women in public spaces and the sense of the lack of safety that I know a lot of women that I know speak about about moving around public spaces. And so on the more personal level, we have now on the line Alex Sampson, who has created a really interesting and wonderful community movement that I want to talk about. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Good,
5: thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much for coming on. Alex, so you started a, a little movement, I suppose, uh, just from a post on the Facebook page for Brunswick residents uh, called Brunswick Good Karma Network. Could you tell me a bit about that post?
5: Yeah, certainly. I made a post a few months ago, actually, after having an experience about uh, walking in the dark and not feeling very safe. I put the word out to my community and I, I asked if anyone was feeling the same way and I got a very very warm response from everyone in my community and it inspired me to create this group, Brunswick Soulmates, so that we can all walk together and and try and keep each other safe.
1: So what was, I suppose, how did you feel walking around at night by yourself in in what I guess is is your home in a place that you know quite well?
5: Yeah, yeah, I've lived in Brunswick for around a year and a half to two years and I love this place I love the streets I love the people I love the parks that we have I just love that sense of belonging and everyone's everyone's so lovely to you even with all of those feelings I I don't feel safe going out after dark or even before the sun rises if I want to get a walk in or a bit of exercise before work and that that feeling of, you know, always looking over your shoulder and not feeling safe to have headphones on or music playing or even look down at your phone, is just, it brings a real sense of fear to what you're doing every day.
2: Mm,
1: absolutely. So you started this group just a few months ago. What was the yeah. response at the beginning and how has it evolved since then?
5: Yeah, the response has been amazing we when we first started it was there was maybe 30 people that had replied and said yes I'm really keen add me to the group and I created the the group off of that and we grew to about 65 members after a few weeks and that type of response had me thinking wow a lot of people (laughs) that feel the feel the exact same way that I do and because of that growth we we got a a little bit more coverage in terms of, um, you know, some online articles and videos and radio interviews, which has actually seen the group grow to being 450 members now.
1: 450, that's... That's a pretty large walking group.
5: <laughs> we <laughs> don't all walk together. We're not like a um, you know a big group of people that are walking in one line or something. <laughs> at
1: six in the morning there's four hundred and fifty people yeah. <laughs> walking the streets in front of it. every
5: day <laughs> but
1: How many people do you tend to get in your in your walking groups?
5: Yeah, we, we generally will have you know anywhere from two up to five or six people and, and I'm only speaking from my experience because everyone's able to organise their own walks and it's really just about posting, hey, I'm thinking about going for a walk tomorrow or Thursday at this time um, for anyone that wants to join, this is where we're thinking of walking. So I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of other sizes of groups and it's really just from my own experience of what. You know what I've gone through, and I've met up with the group
1: that's 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 really really wonderful and the kinds of people who are part of this group who post in the group and take and take part in these walks mm. who who's it for
5: yeah it's a I, it's a really important question i I definitely wanted to make sure that yes, this group was created from a from a sense of not feeling safe as a woman walking around at night, but I also wanted to recognize that. It's not just for women, it's for everybody. So regardless of your gender, your um, race, your religion, your sexual orientation, any level of ability or your fitness, you're welcome to walk with us or come with us on these on these walks around our suburbs. And even if you're, um, perhaps you don't want to engage in social conversation, you're welcome to come along and pop your headphones on so you're not You know, you don't need to be pushed outside your comfort zone, but just so that you can feel safe around our suburb. Why do you
1: think something like this has taken off so rapidly and so positively? Mm.
5: I think what you mentioned before is a really important point, Zoya. The media coverage and even what's not covered in the media when women are attacked, sexually assaulted and murdered in in our suburb that sparks a sense of fear in anybody and we all feel that same pain it's you know it's recognized everyone because we all want that safety we want we want it for ourselves we want it for our neighbors and our siblings our parents and friends and colleagues so I think that's why the group has been recognized not just by women but by everybody
1: mm. why don't you I I think this is just such a really wonderful thing. And I'd love to kind of get an idea of what does it feel like when you're walking with all these people, you know, one other person, six other people, uh, mm-hmm. in, in, where previously you maybe felt unsafe and uncomfortable. How does it feel now when you're out and about in this group?
5: It's such a different feeling. It Even just going for the first walk, with one other person. Uh, Chemi and I, we first we went for the first walk with the group, took a couple of photos and um, shared that with everybody. And I wrote a few words about how even just walking alongside each other at six in the morning, when it was pitch black, we, we were able to feel a lot safer. Like if anything did happen, there was someone else there to help us or someone to call someone. We weren't going out and putting ourselves in a completely dangerous situation, which is you know in reality if you 're going out alone in the morning or at night that 's what's going to happen you're you're on your own so just the feeling of knowing that the other person is standing and walking alongside you, even if you 're not speaking to them was it's an amazing feeling
1: mm, it sounds like it's really changed the way in which you see your, yourself in in your location in your space that you sounds like you you have a totally altered sense of belonging and interaction with with that space with that does that sound right to
5: you of course and I think it's really helped to for me to feel valued in that you you recognize that you're not the only person feeling this way when I reached out to the community I thought I might get a few people say they feel like this and the response was it it was so big that I just was reminded that I'm not the only one to feel like this. It's not unjustified and I feel very valued in helping others to feel safe as well. People telling me on the walk that they haven't they they don't even leave their house at night time and this group has encouraged them to do that. They're able to connect with others in the community they're able to feel safer, they can get some exercise in. It's, It's Helping them on a lot of fronts which is it's so heartwarming
1: absolutely and speaking about that sense of not being alone and, and feeling validated are there any other groups that are doing this around Melbourne and do you have any plans for the future I suppose
5: there are there actually there is one uh, my friend Sarah Donlan started Footscray Soulmate a few days ago and I know that that group has grown to 20 or 25 members in the last few days, and that's really exciting. I've been contacted by friends far and wide about wanting to do the same in their suburbs. So I know Abbotsford is about to start, as well as Fitzroy. Front, uh, sorry, Fitzroy Soulmates. So I'm really keen to see other suburbs, even outside of Melbourne, um, start the same movement, so that they can they can help their neighbours feel safe as well.
1: It sounds like it's really building a sense of community, not just a sense of safety. And I think that is really so, so powerful. For anyone out there who wants to join Brunswick Soulmates, how can we find you?
5: You can find Brunswick Soulmates on Facebook. We're, we're a quaint little Facebook group of 450 odd members. Uh, but the the spelling is S-O-L-E space mates. Please search it. Please Copy the format and start your own soulmates. I'm really keen for everybody, no matter where you come from, what your background is, what your level of ability is, gender. Everyone deserves to feel safe in their community.
1: That's really fantastic. And I love the fact that you've got a pun in there as well,
5: soulmates. Walking, <laughs> Thank you. Walking
1: safety, community, and puns. It's, it's everything we, hilarity, we love yeah. here at 3CR. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks.
5: Thanks so
1: much. Thank you so much. You were listening. That was Alex Sampson speaking about Brunswick Soulmates. S O L E mates. M A T E S. A walking group in Brunswick for people who want to feel safe walking at night.
4: Beautiful. And now we've got a track from Rhapsody of Rhapsody's new album, and it's called Merly.
2: Young kiddo, tears, ain't pillow, another black man died. Waiting in the water, I don't mean baptized. Dark ass time, down don't back no eyes. I see them IBMs, IBM windows, they don't look through eyes. We got a fire it's big like Cali's, but they ain't for us. We ain't for us, they only for it. We serving time, but the boys that's a bigger crime. We gave eyes to the rallies, funerals, black denies. Can't let a day go by. Esau, she saw, every die. We saw people cry, think about all of our people's wives. Raising kids in the world they know ain't safe to live. Like, mirrorly, emergency to mirror me so that I could be her too. The day I say I do. Last man being, that's a crime. Not so funny, Vale. Coretta wore that, you can see it's real. Martin Luther won a big enough deal. Trevor Martin ain't a big enough deal, I kid you not. How many Martins we had shot? Pouring Remy Martin on the block. In memory documented by The Rock, yeah, I hope you watch. Let's talk about what Betty did. She saw X die, we saw X die. How Betty did not want to exit. For the baby kid, cry for the baby mama and the baby crib. That's a broken home, I could be on that. That's reality, that's a big old fact. Cause I'm a married black, a hard truth. Think about the widows
0: That could be us too. Mary really? Lee. I miss you, Miss Marilyn. Still holding yourself to sleep all night still. Drunk off the shit that keeps you up at night. Still feel haunted. Still exhausted. I can love you if you need a love, Marilyn. Can you love me
2: back?
4: You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. In the studio with us, we have the pleasure of being joined by Nero Kandasami and Umesh perin Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having us. And for coming in.
7: <laughs> our, our pleasure.
4: So you're both here to talk to us. So you're both from the Tamil Re- Refugee Council and you're here to talk to us about a, a recent report that's come out. Can you tell us, firstly, who conducted this report?
0: Mm-hmm. So the report was conducted by the International Truth and Justice Project, so the ITJP.
4: Yeah, and can you tell us a little bit about the contents?
0: Yeah, sure. So just a little bit about the organisation to begin with. Yeah, cool. So it was administered by the Foundation for Human Rights in South Africa. So now ITJP has been collecting evidence for any future credible justice processes, and the report that it... Uh, recently released was on the Terrorism Investigation Division, so the TID. It's important also to notice that it's headed by Yasmin Suka, who was appointed to the UN by the UN Secretary General um, on the panel of experts to write a report on Sri Lanka in 2011. So since the civil war ended in 2009, uh, the organisation has essentially been collecting evidence about the atrocities committed against minority groups in Sri Lanka so it's a very credible organization and the reports that they produce are based on testimony survival testimonies so the report that um, they've just released is based on 73 survivors of torture um who are predominantly tamil and they're also forcing Lees. um so the report essentially is and as i said based on 73 survivor testimonies And it identifies 58 people uh, um, who are alleged torturers within the TID of the Sri Lankan police based on investigation and research, um, including those who bear command responsibilities.
4: Yeah, and just I guess we should mention that if you do decide to go and read the report, just to bear in mind that it is quite graphic, Yeah, that's right. It's a a difficult
0: read. It is a very difficult read. Um, The details and the insights from the testimonies are just harrowing. So of the 73 individuals, 50 had been sexually violated, 36 heard others being tortured, and 14 had witnessed others being tortured. Um, So it's collected information from the different, um, I guess, detention sites, so, for example, in the Colombo TID offices, all of the witnesses detained in Colombo were physically tortured by the TID. One individual stated, and I quote here, It was like living in hell. They wanted me to suffer.
4: It's, it's, it's awful, and I think that one of the things that this has obviously highlighted is the fact that you know, we, we hear about what what the Sri Lankan government does to Tamil people, but we think, oh, this is going on in the north-eastern north regions of Sri Lanka. We don't think that it's happening in an office in Colombo, you know, in the middle of this city. Um, and it, it seems like a really important thing to be highlighting, that people know that this is this
0: is systemic. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's correct. Um, one of the most shocking points in the report was that the then UN Special Rapporteur of Torture, Manfred Nowak, named, actually named several of the same alleged perpetrators of the torture in TID when he visited Sri Lanka in 2007, and not one of those investigated um, was, uh, had been prosecuted. Instead, what happened were many had been subsequently promoted within their ranks. Mm. Which very clearly shows
4: how endemic it
0: is. That's right.
4: Yeah, and I think that that is extremely shocking as well, that we've known about this, and it, it's been a number of different, from a number of different sources that we've had this information, and from 2007, mm-hmm. and then yet these people have been promoted. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah.
7: <sighs> yes. Yeah, there's um I guess there's a ITJP's work has been quite crucial, um, especially after 2015, because in 2015 there was a change in government, um, so there was kind of a narrative coming out that. You know, this new government's committed to reconciliation, um, you know, reform of the security sector, and ITJP's been one of the um, few organisations that has, has documented that since then these abuses have continued.
4: Right, yeah, I'm actually interested in hearing more about that. So since the change of leadership, so we haven't seen change at all in terms of this violence. Is it just it's been consistent of, over the last few years? Is that correct?
7: Yeah, so according to ITJP's reports, they've, you know, they've documented these things continuing. There's another group that ITJP works with called Journalists for Democracy in Sri Lanka. Uh, it's mainly a group of exiled, singular journalists, um, and they put, down, put together a report um, detailing all the abductions, disappearances that have been reported in the Tamil media but haven't been reported um, in the mainstream media. That, so, so those are also reports of those things happening. Mm -hmm. Um, But now there's kind of a situation where this whole reconciliation narrative is falling apart um, and the previous um, people who were in power are, are set to come back into power potentially. With a, uh, with a presidential election happening in a, in a few weeks, in a, in a month or so.
4: Okay, right. Mm-hmm. And I guess, yeah, this talk of reconciliation and, and all of this, when you've got this kind of violence being perpetrated against predominantly Tamil people, is yeah. kind of shows how tokenistic that is, and it's just words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's
0: right. Tamils continue to be arrested. So, for example, in June this year, uh, Reporters Without Borders had warned of a resurgence in attacks against Tamil journalists by Sri Lankan security forces. Um, in August, TID had arrested a medical doctor, Dr. S. Sivaruban, alleging he had links to terrorist activities. Um, it's understood that Dr. Sivaruban provided medical reports linking the Sri Lankan army with attacks against civilians in 2011. And just recently, in uh, September, we've also had some more journalists uh, being arrested. So it clearly seems like a very
4: dangerous thing to be speaking out publicly publicly in Sri Lanka, about these issues. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And so what does this mean in terms of, I guess, this silence? You know, we've seen silence and denial from the Sri Lankan government and we also see this with Australia. You know, wh- how can we contextualise this for in, in Australian context?
0: So we know that Sh- um, Sri Lanka and Australia have a strong diplomatic relations. So when we, when we try to understand what's happening here, we need to, I think, go back in time a little bit. So even as far back as 1983 following uh, the Tamil massacre, we can see that the Australian government um, maintained its diplomatic connections with the Sri Lankan government, denying Tamils their refugee status. And since then at least we've had a situation where the government continues to uh, deny that Tamils face persecution in their homeland. And once that's done is created um, a culture where Tamils have found it increasingly difficult to justify their refugee claims and Mm. their genuine claims of fear and persecution within these uh, political relationships. Yeah. Yeah.
7: Yeah. I mean, and this relationship um, goes back even in 2009 um, when there was 300,000 Tamils in internment camps in the north. The Australian government was working with the Sri Lankan government on stopping boats. Um, and there's a cable that says that, uh, one of the US WikiLeaks cables saying that uh, the Australians saw it as a way in uh, to, to build their relationship to assist uh, the, the Sri, Sri Lankan government with, uh, with this uh, mm. issue.
4: I mean, it's pretty on brand, really, when we talk about Australia, but it's just, it's shocking, and and I guess important for us to also understand that this goes back as far as the 80s, that they're wanting to maintain this relationship, uh, Australia wants to maintain this relationship and strengthen this relationship at any cost, it doesn't matter what the Sri Lankan government is doing. Um, and, you know, I think really important, I don't think people are talking about this mm-hmm. and that
0: history and how that feeds into the the, the deportation of, of Tamils. That's yeah. right. Um, and we can see that the rhetoric, the rhetoric behind um, this continues. So, for example, in 2013, then Prime Minister Tony Abbott um, said to reporters that while his government deplores, and I quote here, while his government deplores the use of torture, we accept that sometimes in difficult circumstances, difficult things happen so we're seeing a continuous. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's just
4: complete dehumanisation, right. it's complete yeah. denial, it's, it's excusing violence. That's
0: correct. Right. Yeah.
7: Yeah, that, that was at the um, Chogger meeting, the yeah. Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting. And Australia's closest allies, like the US and Canada, had, bo- had boycotted that meeting, but Australia mm-hmm. had gone. Um, and they'd also declined to support a human rights motion um, against the Sri Lankan government when when their allies had voted for it. So right. Australia, seems, uh, has sort of an exceptional, in some ways, yeah. relationship with the Sri Lankan government. Mm-hmm.
4: For us to go kind of on our own in that regard, against our allies, yeah, that's very significant. Mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, I'm speaking with Nero and Umesh from the Tamil Refugee Council, and we're talking about a recent report which highlights... Uh, yet again, um, the Sri Lankan government's violence towards Tamil people. So, what does this mean? What, what do we need to do to, to, you know, to highlight these issues? What needs to happen?
0: I think as a community we can continue to support organisations such as the Tamil Refugee Council who are advocating for the rights of refugees um, and all people facing persecution around the world. So... For the Tamil Refugee Council we can you know, we we ask people to, for example, like our Facebook page, which is where a lot of our information is transmitted to the wider to the wider public. So for example, we've got upcoming screenings of an important documentary called The No Fire Zone, which details the horrific atrocities committed against civilians, Tamil civilians during the final stages of the civil war in two thousand and nine. And we've been sharing this documentary since since it was created and we find it a particularly useful Um, insight into the reality of Sri Lanka. Mm. Um, We're also looking uh, for help with our upcoming campaigns. So, for example, we have um, indefinitely detained Tamil refugees. We have Tamil refugees who are still on Manus and Nauru. We have refugees on temporary visas, and these refugees can't reunite with their families. We also have over uh, 13,000 refugees in Indonesia who are stranded and can't get to Australia due to Australia's uh, policies, punitive policies. So we're really asking for people to show some support. And we need to help. um, And, you know, as we can see with the Priya Nades case, there are still people out there today in front of David Common's office. So we need to continue mobilising. We need to continue to show support.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, really important to highlight that, you know, we've seen the support that's um, you know, people coming out in support of Priya and Nadez, but clearly there are so many other people that we also need to be speaking about and it needs to go outside of just the Sri Lankan community in Australia. It needs to be other allies that are stepping up. And I think, yeah, the Tamil Refugee Council have been following all of your work and it is incredibly important. And I think that's a really, um, I guess, a, a concrete step that we can take just to follow on Facebook yeah. and to be aware of what events are happening and go out and support that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Any updates on Priya and Nadez? So we just had the High
0: Court hearing from yeah. a week or two back. So all indications are that they will remain in Christmas Island. Um, we don't actually know when there will be a full court hearing. Uh, potentially this could uh, be months away. We don't actually know that. What we do know for now is that Priya and Nadez and their two beautiful daughters remain isolated in Christmas Island. Um, and so we're really hoping that the community does keep up the pressure. Yeah.
7: Yeah. Peter Dutton has has claimed that he needs to keep them there for their own safety. Um, so, in the in the yeah. me- in the meantime, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's possible to to try and get them uh, out of out of the detention centre. Yeah. He, he claimed, for example, that they have they're, they're living close to a school and a swimming pool, but. It wasn't pointed out that they can't actually get out of the detention centre.
4: Just, you can't just blatantly lie about it. And I saw this tweet that I think put it beautifully. It was just, just like, they're not going to run away. They want to stay in Australia. Like, we don't need to lock them up. They can go back to um Billa I thank you. They, you know, they, that's where they want to be. You don't need to keep them on Christmas Island. It's ridiculous. Um Thank you so much for your time this morning. This is an incredibly important issue. We want to keep following following this and keeping the conversation going. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Freedom would you read
3: Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate, and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between Queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A
0: 3CR supporter.
3: Victoria's roadside drug testing program
8: is not about road safety. In last year's governmental inquiry into drug law reform, it was noted that Victoria's RDT program is falling behind on latest evidence regarding impairment. Currently, Victoria Police can charge people for detection of either cannabis, amphetamines or MDMA. But those detections do not correlate with impairment. Impaired drivers should be removed from the roads, and that's why we're urging an inquiry into Victoria's RDT scheme to ensure that the resources that are currently employed to make our roads safer are being properly used to make our roads safer. Help us refocus road safety onto what makes roads safe. Sign the e-petition, parliament.vic.gov.au forward slash council forward slash petitions. And look for the Inquiry into Drug Driving Reform, Petition 117.
0: A 3CR supporter.
1: You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR, 855am and 3cr.org.au. The song we had just before was the fabulous MIA with a song called Borders, Coming up next, George has an interview with Nicole Hutton from Colour Code. But just before that, I wanted to make a really quick cl- not clarification, but further clarification, I suppose. Earlier today, we were talking about a case that's being taken to the Supreme Court in the U.S. around the rights of a trans woman that was going to have or potentially is going to have implications both in the U.S. and also... Culturally and socially, globally, um, around the rights of trans people and the rights of businesses to employ or to fire queer people, and I referred to the Religious Discrimination Act or the Religious Discrimination Bill that the Liberal government wants to bring forwards, and made a comment about the interactions or the impact or how that bill applies to large organizations and the public service and i found the part of the summary of the bill that that applies to that and it says um that large businesses cannot impose a Condition relating to the standards of dress, appearance or behaviour of their employees that restricts or prevents that employee from making statements of belief in their private capacity is required to prove that compliance with the condition is necessary to avoid unjustifiable financial hardship to the business. But that that only applies to businesses with revenue of at least $50 million in the current or previous financial year. But... It does not include the Commonwealth, state or territory public sector. So the public sector, despite being the largest employer, one of the largest employers in Australia, is permitted to discriminate against a person based on their religious expression around standards of dress, appearance or behaviour. So that is a really interesting element of that bill and one that I think potentially warrants further exploration. But coming up now, George, who do we
4: have? Right now, we've got another, another interview, a last interview to wrap up the show. So, on the line is Nicole Hutton, who is a Gadara woman who works for the First Nations justice team at GetUp. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Nicole. Thank you for having me. Um, and so... You're here to talk to us about the Power of Country event, which is on Thursday night. But maybe just as a bit of an introduction, could you tell us a little bit about what work you do at GetUp? Yeah,
9: well, um, the First Nations Justice Team is a brand new team that we have. um, And basically, it's led by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to work for, um, you know, help our community with campaigns and um, advocacy. So one of the most uh, biggest campaigns that we're working on right now is the fracking campaign in the Northern Territory. Um, And basically, traditional owners across the Territories have been fighting for over five years to try and stop fracking from happening um, on their country. So um, we've been supporting them and working with them to be able to amplify their voices, to be able to be heard, um, especially across the rest of the country.
4: Awesome, that actually leads perfectly into my next question because I was going to ask you about, I guess, you know, 3CR, we're in Nam, and I think we might be more clued in with some of the First Nations environmental issues that are going on closer to home. And so could you tell us a bit more about what's going on with um, in the Northern Territory with this um, fracking issue? Yeah, well,
9: um, basically there are some of the biggest, gas companies in the country, so Origin Energy is one of the leading companies, um, have been trying to frack in the Northern Territory. Um, And basically, the traditional owners there do not want fracking to happen. And there's been a whole lot of um, lies and deceit happening to communities and people just haven't been told exactly what is going on and haven't been properly consulted. So um, from that, um, traditional owners have risen up to be able to, I guess, lead the way to say that, you know, we want agency to what happens to our country and we say no to fracking.
4: Right. And did you say that this has been going on for five years?
9: Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, the fight's been going on for five years and it's really starting to become... It's getting to the point now where um, either they will frack or they won't. So this is the time that we really need as many people to get involved and to support these communities.
4: Yeah. And has there been a lot of support around this issue?
9: Yeah, so uh, it's something like you know, people don't realise that, I guess, the Northern Territory is a real place where people live every day. I feel like people sometimes in the cities think of it as, like, a really great holiday destination mm. or somewhere that's really far away. But, um, you know, the reality is that people on the East Coast are the ones receiving the gas and it's impacting people in their day-to-day life and, you know...
4: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess this relates to this event that's being held on Thursday night, Power of Country. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
9: Yeah. So, um, Paris Country is the idea that people, Aboriginal people, um, get the power from the country that they're in cuz country doesn't just mean the land, it means um everything that interacts with the land and the culture basically. So, um, we wanted to bring the idea that People can get the power from their culture and the land, but also, um, you know, people get electricity from the land. And um, we kind of wanted to also frame it so that, you know, renewable energy, um, solar power and wind is something that is a great alternative to people digging gas out of the ground. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's like really a grassroots kind of campaign.
4: And so fracking in the Northern Territory will be one of the topics that will be discussed What other issues are going on at the moment will also be kind of brought into the conversation on Thursday?
9: Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, there's a lot of conversation about climate right now. And um, something that I guess is forgotten, that people saying no to fossil fuels is is a huge campaign when it comes to climate change because, um, you know, climate change, it is going to impact Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people first, So, mm. and it's going to impact them at every stage. So it it impacts us from, you know, extraction of the fossil fuels, the burning, and then um, the impacts of climate change. So I guess, yes, we we'll are also talking about, you know, the climate and how much um, fracking would impact the climate, because, you know, some of these reserves in the Northern Territory, if they were to be <laughs> extracted and burnt, it would be over 50 coal-fired power stations,
4: which Mm, is huge. That's massive. Yeah. And it seems like there's no going back once you do that, you know. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And And that's
9: why um, we've got traditional owners that have travelled, you know, sometimes over 3,000 kilometres to come and, you know, have those conversations with people and, um, I guess, connect because that's one of the most important things, is people connecting and hearing the stories from the front lines
4: yeah yeah uh, especially since i guess looking at the media we don't really get that exposure and and i think this very much relates to talking about the the climate change rally and i guess whiteness and white settler perspectives kind of dominating the narrative and you know why do you think it's important to have these kinds of events well um
9: when i was at the march um everyone was ch- chanting climate action now and I remember thinking, like, why are we still saying climate action now? We should be saying climate justice now.
3: Mm.
9: Because, you know, climate justice is the idea that no-one gets left behind when we make these changes for climate justice. So, you know, we need justice for First Nations people who are living on the land who, you know, it's been colonised and now we're seeing the threat of being removed off-country due to climate change. But also, you know, there are real people that have jobs that work um, in the mining communities, and sometimes there 's no other opportunities for employment and it's you know we need we need the transition to be just, yeah, so yeah. i think yeah climate justice that 's the bottom line of everything and why I do what I do,
4: yeah, and I guess that term really cuts across all of these different issues and and says that you can 't just stand for you know, issues around climate change, you have to really have this approach where you're understanding all of the intersections of these different um, different oppressions and particularly the ongoing impacts of colonisation as central to that. Yeah, 100%, yeah. And so how can people get down to this event?
9: Well, um, we're having the event in Melbourne on Wednesday, but, you know, we're also... No, not Wednesday, Thursday, sorry. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Um, and we're actually also having an online one tomorrow night, um, so that means people anywhere can attend, even mm-hmm. if they're not physically there. Um, and you can RSVP for the event by going to www.powerofcountry.org.au and um, and basically it's happening at Collingwood Town Hall. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you can just RSVP online and turn up and um, hear from traditional owners that have traveled really far to be able to share their stories and to be able to, I guess, talk about a future where we can have people, you know, living on the East Coast, being able to support remote communities, because it's really hard and to, you know, even get a phone call across to the Northern Territory. So it's mm. a really, really, really big deal for people to travel this far to tell their stories. Yeah.
4: Yeah, yep. definitely, and I guess as you pointed out in terms of the way people in cities might think about places in the Northern Territory and, you know, we really need to be connecting and understanding what the, the main issues are and what role we might be able to play um, as non-Indigenous yep. people to, to have that awareness and and to support these issues.
9: Definitely, I guess because um, the, one of the biggest companies that want to start fracking is Origin Energy. If they were to frack, they would be the first and they also have one of the biggest you know, licences across the Northern Territory. And um, Origin Energy has a lot of customers around Australia, so they have a lot of customers across the East Coast. So, you know, we're really looking to have people have conversations, you know, with other people that are Origin customers, but also with Origin themselves, like call them up and tell them Mm. that we don't want, um, you know, them to use our money to... In in Northern Territory. Yeah. But also, like, they have offices in, you know, all, like the major cities. So, um, and they're actually having their ADM next month um, that we're going to bust down, I think, over 30 traditional owners to go in and tell them directly the Board of Origin Energy.
4: So, so wait, do you say this is next amazing. month?
9: Yeah, so we're having a power of country event, um, you know, this week. Yeah. And then next month we're building up towards preparing to bring down over bus down over 30 traditional owners to um, attend the AGM it'll right. be pretty amazing.
4: And where's that m- meeting being held?
9: Uh, it's in Sydney oh, but there okay. will be solidarity events yeah um, you know in the major cities so okay
4: yeah we'll definitely if have to you, keep if, an eye out for that and share that with our listeners. Yeah, yeah.
9: definitely. Um, if you RSVP for the Paris country you'll also get the information.
4: Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Nicole. I think this is a a definitely extremely important event to get down and support, particularly if you're interested in climate justice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Teller,
3: teller, I mean. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between Queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A
6: 3CR supporter. So that gorgeous song that you heard that was cut off too soon, in my opinion, was by The Real... Underscore Pookie P double O K I E and it was called I Had a Dream and now we're gonna play um, an awesome song by Ehab Tawfiq called Allah Allah <laughs>